Good morning and welcome to Coffee with the Sarlows. I'm Kelly. Good morning. I'm Karen. We're going to start off with show notes today very excitedly because we want to get on to today's show. Um, but first and foremost, we have our evening with medium events coming up in August on the 23rd and December on the 13th. Tickets are on sale at the website by sarlo.com. They are already selling, so make sure that you're grabbing those before they're gone. Our second podcast show, Sips of Sanity, is available at the website by sarlo.com. They are 10-minute to 12-minute shows running the first week of each month, Monday to Friday. We pick a topic in emotional and spiritual intelligence, and we try to help you along with your enlightenment. There are also coffee mugs on sale at the site as well, um, so you can head over there. And last but not least, we have gift certificates and personal sessions available. You can purchase and experience them from anywhere in the world via Skype, FaceTime, telephone, and most recently, Zoom. Okay, so on to today's show. We are wildly excited to have another best-selling author on the show today, Sally Winston. Sally is the founder and co-director of the Anxiety and Stress Disorders Institute in Baltimore, Maryland. So she's calling in from the United States this morning. She is a licensed clinical psychologist. Um, She is the author of a book that both Kelly and I have read recently called Overcoming Unwanted Intrusive Thoughts. And she co-authors this with Martin Seif, another clinical psychologist at the same institute. Sally has served as the first chair of the Clinical Advisory Board of the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, the ADAA, She's received the prestigious Gerilyn Ross Award. She is a master clinician who has given tons of sought-after workshops for therapists for over four decades. And we are, as you said, wildly excited to have her on our show and share her with our listeners this morning. Welcome, Sally. We have you calling in today from Baltimore, Maryland. And we want to launch right into some questions because we have been referring to you and building up your book and your institute so that our listeners can understand what these unwanted intrusive thoughts are. So why don't we ask you to start by just describing what that looks like? I'm happy to do to do that. And thank you. And hello. Um, what in unwanted intrusive thoughts are are thoughts that are disturbing or distressing or repeating or disgusting that repeat over and over and seem to get stuck and cause people a lot of distress. Uh, It's an actually very common phenomenon, but because the thoughts are usually about something that you're either embarrassed or horrified by, people don't tend to talk to each other about it. They don't tend to bring bring up these thoughts when they're talking with their doctors. They hide them. They're ashamed of them. They're afraid of them. And so so not a lot of talk goes on about them, but they're actually quite common. As far as I know, Sally, every single person has them. Is that would you say that's fairly accurate? Every single person has what we call passing intrusive thoughts, which means weird thoughts, uh, awful thoughts that just pop into your awareness. Not everybody gets stuck on those thoughts mm-hmm. because what what happens when they get stuck and they're unwanted thoughts? is that they repeat over and over again and cause distress. 
I think pretty much everybody has passing weird things that occur, but the phenomenon where you actually are struggling with the thoughts and trying to make them go away and horrified by them, that's a little less common. And that's what I want to address because there are an awful lot of people suffering terribly over basically nothing important. Remember in the book, Sally, that you gave, I think this is correct, you gave the example of the person standing beside a subway or a train and they may have a terrible unwanted thought that they're going to push somebody in front of the train. Right, either jump or push. And it, it, there it's pretty much if you ask an entire room full of people how many people have had this thought, pretty much everybody raises their hand. But most of those people, not everyone, but most of those people laugh about it. And then there's just a few people who are horrified by it because they think it means something and they get stuck struggling with it. And that's what makes an unwanted intrusive thought a problem. The fact that it just pops up is nothing, but the fact that it gets stuck, that's where I want to help people with it. Um, and there are many, many examples. Standing on a balcony, uh, who hasn't had the thought that, whoa, I could jump off? Or what if this um, breaks and I fall off? And then most people kind of just let it pass by. But some people, and it's actually a surprising number of people, are so upset by the fact that the thought showed up that they get entangled with it and they start a struggle. Oh my goodness, and that struggle could actually really grow into a full-blown fear. Absolutely, and it, it can be on any number of, con of content or topic. For example, uh, you see somebody walk by and they're, well, let's even make it a, a member of your family. You, you, you look at your sister and she looks really nice today and you suddenly have the thought, wow, what if I were attracted to her? something that makes absolutely right. no sense, that, that doesn't jive with anything you know about yourself, but it just pops in there. And for most people, that will be a passing thought. They might not even remember that they thought it. But for some people, it's so upsetting, and it seems like it has a meaning, or you ought to look at it, or why is that happening, or something, that they get into a big fight internally, and then what happens is they end up suffering. Sometimes it blows up into more and more checking out your mind to try and make sure that you're not having more of those thoughts, and then it becomes a real problem. So Sally, does, does this mean that if I have unwanted intrusive thoughts that I am mentally ill? No, it does not. Okay. What it means is that you have a sticky mind, um, and a sticky mind is uh, the term we use because it's 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 uh, everybody recognizes it. If you have a sticky mind, which is uh, actually biological, it it runs in families. It's inherited, and a sticky mind is a mind that sometimes holds thoughts, particularly if you're tired or you're upset or you're uh, you're maybe coming down with a cold, gets stickier. The day after you drink something alcoholic, your mind is stickier, and the stickiness of your mind is the, is the underlying issue. That is not mental illness. It's just a trait, 
And if you have a sticky mind and you learn how to manage it or how to laugh at it, it's no big deal. But that's the underlying issue is this biological trait which runs in families. And anyone who has a sticky mind, if I ask them which side of the family has sticky minds, they pretty much know because it comes out in terms of anxiety or depression or sticky intrusive thoughts or some other way that it shows up. But that's all it is. I like that. And is there a way that you can use a sticky mind and an innate trait to actually be a good thing? Can you work it in the positive well, absolutely, because people with sticky minds tend to be creative. They, their, their, their minds uh, wander off in all directions, and they notice their thoughts, whereas most people don't notice their thoughts very much. So it can be a positive trait. It, it, can, it can lead to creativity, but it certainly doesn't have to be something that interferes with living the life you want to live. That's beautiful, because you're, you're taking this this quality in saying that it doesn't have to become something hurtful. It, no, it certainly doesn't. But knowing you have it will help you to be able yeah. to handle weird thoughts when they show up so that you can see them as absurd or creative or, or just not important. So Sally, what gets people stuck in a particular thought? Well, here, here's, here's the issue. Um, People have beliefs about thoughts, which are actually myths. They're they're not true. But a lot of people, most people, carry around some myths about thoughts, which then make them get in a struggle with thoughts they don't want. Uh, Myths are things like every thought that I think is important or worth exploring. That's just not true. Mm -hmm. We have junk stuff that shows up all the time in our thoughts. Yes, we do. Uh, Another myth is that thoughts indicate the character underneath. So if you have a thought that seems to be coming from an unconscious place, that that must mean that you are not who you think you are or that your character is implicated. So if, if you have a bizarre Um, harming thought of doing some violence that it means that you're actually angry or dangerous or that your unconscious can make you do things you don't want to do. All of those things are not true. Another thing that some people think is that, that thoughts actually affect reality. So a thought is a a prediction of the future or can make something happen. If you think it, it's going to make it more likely or less likely. And, of course, thoughts don't affect reality at all. They're completely separate, safe, and closed things inside our heads. And they actually can't make us do anything. Safe. So if you make thoughts way, way too important and then you notice a weird thought, then that is the impetus for getting involved in the thought. And that's the big mistake that people make when these thoughts show up. Um, So the first thing is to change your relationship with your thoughts so that you don't see them as so important. I I love that you called them safe. I just want to double back there for a minute because you're safe to have them. You're safe to let them come and go if they don't mean that anything is going to happen. 
they not only don't mean that anything is going to happen, they don't mean anything about you. Mm. And that's the important part, because a mm. lot of people get stuck on thoughts, and, and if you actually look at them, these thoughts are the thoughts that they most don't want to have. They're the opposite of their values. They're not wishes. They're the opposite of wishes. Hmm. And yet people think that somehow or other this means that I'm not who I think I am. So it, it, the people who have intrusive, violent thoughts that get stuck because they fight them, they're fighting them because they are gentle, nonviolent people. Hmm. Or the mother who suddenly has thoughts that they could hurt their baby, that's because they love their baby and that's the last thought in the world they'd ever want to have. Or the person who's afraid that they're going to blurt out some terrible blasphemous thing in church. Those are religious people. So it's the opposite of who you are, and yet it's so distressing that, um, that you think that somehow it's meaning something about you. The only thing is that's the thought you've chosen to fight, and you're fighting it because it's the opposite of a wish, not because it's a wish. Boy, then you go around giving it tons of energy. Yes, exactly. Thoughts continue to repeat if you fight them. What you fight fights back. That's the fuel that gets them more and more stuck, is the energy you put into them. If you give them no energy because they don't matter then they go right by. And if you feed them, if you unconsciously or inadvertently fuel them by struggling with them, by wanting to make them go away, by pushing at them, by analyzing them, by working on them, by trying to distract from them, any of those things fuels them. I call that so energetic it, hemorrhaging. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> we, call, we call it paradoxical effort. Hmm. Oh, okay. Cool. Right? So in the, in the real world, the outside world, you put in effort, something happens. Like if you want to move a table, you have to push at it and then it moves. That's the outside world of objects and things. In the inside world, that works backwards. The more p effort you put in to make yourself not think something, the more you think it. Mm-hmm. So the inside world and the outside world work completely differently. And people just get stuck trying harder and harder and harder to not think something or to analyze something to make it go away or to work on it somehow. And that kind of effort works backwards. So may I, and, and you can tell me if this is a good question or not, Sally. When you are... In your practice, do you find that most people who come to you for these reasons, they're experiencing unwanted intrusive thoughts, do they also characterize themselves as depressed? Um, not always. Okay. Um, very frequently people um, are demoralized because oh. they, they can't make them go away, and so they get very upset with themselves. And I call that demoralization. Demoralization lifts as soon as you get the key about why everything you've been doing isn't working and you have some other way of relating to the thoughts, the demoralization lifts. But it's also true that you can also have depression at the same time 
And depressed minds are stickier. Mm-hmm. So that if you're depressed for some other reason or you're depressed because your biology tends you in that direction, if you're bipolar or depression runs in your family, when you get depressed, your mind is likely to get stickier and then sticky thoughts can actually become a problem in and of themselves. So sometimes it happens together, but there are many people who really aren't depressed. They're just upset because they can't control their minds and of course they can't control their minds because they're going at it backwards love it oh my gosh what you said is just so hopeful absolutely well it has for me it's important to distinguish once we talk about depression depression is a is a biological state so what happens in depression has Uh, what we call vegetative signs, and if you have them, that is depression. And the the most important ones are are trouble with the appetites. You you don't want to eat, you you can't sleep, Um, uh, you're waking up too early in the morning, and something called anhedonia, which means loss of pleasure, which means nothing gives you pleasure. Everything is flat, nothing matters. And there's a voice in your head that's saying, this is hopeless, I feel guilty, I am worthless. All of those things are depression. And that's a separate issue from unwanted intrusive thoughts. There are plenty of people that don't have those vegetative signs. They're just Mm -hmm. really upset with themselves because they have these thoughts all the time. And they worry that this could mean that they're going to misbehave or that they have to control themselves or that it means something bad. Love it. That's so clear. Thank you. So should a person just think positive thoughts then? And try and get rid of it, try and control it? Well, that's a wonderful question. It seems obvious you should replace negative thoughts with positive thoughts. But ask anyone with unwanted intrusive thoughts if that works, and they will tell you, no, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And then they think, well, how come it works for everyone else and it doesn't work for me? I really must be in trouble. But the fact is, it doesn't work. Because the more you try to do that, the more you are inadvertently fueling the thought. You're trying, you're putting in that struggle effort, and it doesn't work. So what happens is, let's say you have a thought you don't want to have, and then you replace it with a positive thought, whether it's like, well, let's pretend I'm on the beach, or it's really not going to happen, or, you know, maybe you have an intrusive thought that's, let me think of a typical example. Mm, you have an image of yourself lying in a coffin, all right? And then maybe you try to place it with, I'm not dying now and I've got 40 years left to go and everything's going to be fine. What then happens after you have your so-called positive thought where you're trying to replace that thought is that you check to see if it worked and it didn't work. And then you put in more effort. And then you check to see if it didn't work. And every time you check to see if it doesn't work, you're fueling it. Mm-hmm. So that is not an effective way of doing things. So uh, I would like to ask a question. Um, we are really um, big sticklers for people who use cliches like let it go. So if someone's experiencing unwanted intrusive thoughts and a friend or a family member says to them, you just need to let it go 
And they, they respond with, well, what does that mean? Like, how do you coach them to be able to understand what letting it pass means? Uh, let it go is very difficult because people put in effort trying to let it go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just, and that works backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, we like to use the term let it be, which means that what you're going to do is you're going to al- actively allow that thought to be present. That means not push it away. It means allow it to be present. And then what happens is you grow larger. You notice the thought. You know it's a thought. You label it a thought. I'm having the thought that is the phrase you put in front of it while you allow the thought to be there, actively accepting, yes, it's there, And then you expand your awareness. So that's not the only thing in your awareness. You're aware of the rest of the world, the rest of your thoughts, the rest of your sensations, the rest of what's happening around you. And you just simply let it be. You allow it to be present. You put no effort into it. You just let it sit there. And what happens is if you allow the thought, which is the opposite of let it go, you allow the thought to be there, then it doesn't have any fuel. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't have any fuel, after a while it just kind of wanders away. Mm-hmm. And if that happens often enough, it stops setting off the false alarm, that big whoosh that usually happens when it shows up. It just kind of gets less and less important and it sort of backs up into one of the back channels of your mind where you don't even really notice it, and then it just kind of fades out. So the, the, the method of allowing it is very indirect. You're not making it go away. You're allowing it to be there, and you're just not caring that it's there. And then what happens is indirectly it stops fighting with you, and it just kind of backs up into the back parts of your mind. I notice bothering you. I notice when I do that, Sally, that the emotions that come with it dissipate. And I'm exactly yeah, and then I'm immediately peaceful. So there's there's an instant sense of calmness when I do it, which is the opposite of what that intrusive thought was trying to instigate when it came along in the first place. You're absolutely right. That is what happens. Unfortunately, what often happens when you first sort of glimpse that, when you first sort of get, oh, I'm going to allow it, it's, it's just a thought, I'm just going to let it be there, then you feel good. Now, many, many people, when they first take that glimpse, they whip around, they say, okay, what did I do? How did I make that happen? And they try to grab onto that moment. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, of course, the minute you do that, it's back. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's a matter of sort of practicing that attitude shift over and over, very gently and wisely and um, simply, because it, it's not just one time. It doesn't work just one time. You get these little glimpses of moments of accepting and allowing, and then they build on each other. But it's not an instant, oh, all done kind of thing. It takes practice. Oh, and I'm hearing a lot of patience. Yes. And at being compassionate with yourself, that your brain has had a habit here, 
and it will keep pounding away at that habit, and it takes a while for your for you to build build new brain pathways so that it can actually be allowing those thoughts to be there and not feeding them with some kind of active engagement. Okay. Okay, so Sally, can you talk to us about what a harming obsession is? A harming obsession is probably the most common kind of unwanted intrusive thought. It's a sudden, violent uh, thought that gets stuck. Um, it, it can be violent or it can actually be a more subtle kind of harm, like saying something insulting or hurtful or perhaps harming someone in a sexual or emotionally abusive kind of way. Um, it, it, it's actually very common. Uh, it indicates, as I said before, a gentle person who is horrified by violence. And it's a very common experience. Um, very often it can be triggered by something external, like somebody will hear about maybe an, a school shooter, for example. And they'll, they'll, they'll be totally horrified by the entire idea and then suddenly creep in, you know, that maybe they were listening on TV and, and the, all the neighbors are saying, oh, this person seemed per- perfectly normal, and then they just snapped, and we don't understand it, and it makes no sense. And then the person has the thought, well, what if that's me? What if I'm perfectly mm-hmm. normal now, but I could suddenly snap and do something terrible? And then most people who have that thought, or many people who have that thought, they don't even remember they had that thought because it just kind of passed through. But somebody who is completely horrified by that and has a sticky mind might seize on it. Oh, my God, what's that thought doing in there? That's horrible. Why am I thinking that? Mm. Why? Am I angry at somebody? Am I, um, what's wrong with me? And they get a whole uh, host of frightening perceptions about the fact that the thought occurred. And then they might start, don't think about it. Okay. And if you if you do don't think about it, then it gets stuck. And then if you do more things like get the guns out of the house or make sure that you never go to a school or, you know, all kinds of other avoidance behaviors to try mm. and absolutely make sure that that can't possibly happen, then you're just fueling the thought and it gets stuck. And that's what a harming obsession is. Love it. Wow. So then if someone is getting stuck in that, it's important for them to realize, geez, I can go near school and purposely walk by one and see Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And one of the things that one of a very common harming obsession is what if I hurt my child, right? Right. So then you'll find people who won't bathe their kids or who won't diaper their kids or who want somebody else present when they're with their kids or who is um, trying very, very hard to avoid their children in some way so that they won't hurt their children. And they're doing it because they love their children. But they've lost track of the fact that thoughts are just thoughts. So what we might have them do as part of the treatment, and this is once they understand that thoughts are thoughts, uh, is to sit by the bed of a sleeping child and just sit there and let their mind do anything. 
And that's what we call exposure therapy, which is what you do once you've figured out that they are thoughts, then you have to train your mind to be willing to allow those thoughts to be present and just be with them, be with the feelings that come and just surf the waves of the feelings that come. So we might have them go and sit in the middle of the night in their child's room and just sit there in the dark and let their thoughts happen. Well, there's no better way to know then um, that their thoughts just are thoughts because at the end of doing that after 15 minutes or building up to a half hour and nothing occurs, they have the fact in front of them that it was just a thought. Well, you know, that that's a double-edged sword, the way that you're talking about it, because if you're looking for proof, 100% sure that this will never happen, sticky minds will find ways to question that. Okay. So it might be, well, it didn't happen then, but it could happen in the future. Or I was just holding on and controlling myself, but I had the thoughts, and how do I know that those are just thoughts, and so on. So it's not so much to prove that you won't do it. It's more to simply train your brain to allow the thoughts to be present. And it's a subtle, subtle difference. Perfect. Do you follow what I'm saying? Absolutely. So you're having the thoughts while you're sitting there. You're not having the thoughts in order to prove that you won't do it. Perfect. So before we go into asking about what treatment focuses on, can you talk to us about the three voices that you've termed in your book? Uh, I think those are the most popular part of the book. Oh, yes. <laughs> what we did was we took a typical sticky mind and we looked inside and we saw that there's a very typical kind of response to thoughts. Um, and we have three inner voices of the mind that are typical. Of course, these aren't actually voices. You're not hearing them. But just like you can have two feelings about the same thing or two thoughts at the same time, these are um, channels or voices. The first one is uh, what we call worried voice. And that represents um, the what-ifs, the worries, the intrusion of the thought, it's, the, it's obsessive, and it's, it's the part that comes up with all the stuff that, that is anxiety-provoking. So as soon as worried voice starts, anxiety goes up, and uh, worried voice will uh, then um, create anxiety with some sort of thought. The second one is called false comfort. And false comfort is the part of us that naturally tries to make worried voice feel better. But false comfort does it in ways that inadvertently keep things going. So false comfort provides what we call negative reinforcement. It actually is the one that is providing rational thought or positive thought to try and replace the what-ifs of the negative thoughts or it's providing comfort in the way of sort of empty reassurance, or it's providing little suggestions for how to avoid things, or it's trying to say everything is okay, but it's providing false comfort. And the third voice is what we call wise mind, 
which is the one that has the ability to step back and watch worried voice and and false comfort struggling with each other and amplifying the thoughts and making something an issue that really isn't an issue and is able to stand back and, and observe and gently remind the other two that that struggle isn't helpful and to allow, accept, and be okay with whatever happens to pop into your mind. So it's a wise, it's, it's actually the voice of mindfulness, although we don't necessarily use that term all the time, but it's the voice, uh, it's, it's a gentle, compassionate, wise voice that actually knows how to accept and allow. I I would agree it's the most popular part of the book. I think it was fascinating for myself to read as well, um, learning about false comfort mm-hmm. because we deal and talk a lot about people-pleasing. We've had a lot of really well-known authors on the shows talking about that as well. And false comfort is not something that has really come up in our people-pleasing conversations. And so as fixers, you think you're doing a great job by pointing out facts, by being compassionate, Mm -hmm. not understanding that, you know, enter Sally Winston, that you're actually fueling the fire. Mm -hmm. That's a really important point. I'm so glad that you said that, because not only is it easy to get false comfort going on in your own mind, where you're trying to argue with yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, make rational, you know, comments back and forth and fueling the struggle. But it's very easy to elicit false comfort from other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can go about asking for reassurance, you'll get it. Um, Because people are nice and kind, and they say nice things. But actually, what they do, or they are providing fuel, because it doesn't actually work to say, oh, I'm sure everything will be all right. I mean, if you come up with, you know, you know, what if this, this um, spot on my arm is cancer and I'm going to die, most everyone will tell you, oh, don't worry about it, I'm sure it's fine. And that doesn't actually work if you have a stuck thought that that's cancer. Um, so you you can elicit it both internally and externally very, very easily uh, if what you're dealing with is a stuck thought. Love it. I think that's a great example. I would highly recommend people pick up the book that are listening to the show today and share it with others because that particular way that you and Martin Seif wrote those three characters in is critical because you put down very average everyday examples for people to connect to so that they could listen and hear in their own mind when they are participating in each of the three. And the key to it is wise mind because she pulls you right out of it. Well, she she does. She gets you to stand back and stop fueling the struggle. Um, so it it's a very helpful thing to do. In fact, um, If you have OCD, um, which is obsessive-compulsive disorder, you will notice that worried voice is the voice of of obsession and and, uh, false comfort is the voice of compulsion, which is everything that you try to do to make worried voice feel better. 
Mm-hmm. Because in OCD, there's an alternation between thoughts that make you anxious and thoughts that very temporarily reduce your anxiety, thoughts or behaviors. A lot of compulsions in OCD are not behaviors. When we think about OCD, we often think about behaviors like hand-washing and arranging and things like that. But actually, a great deal of OCD goes on in the mind, and it's a lot of that self-reassuring and so-called rational talk and arguing that goes on to try to calm yourself. That's also compulsion. It works exactly the same way. So in terms of treatment, Sally... I'm I'm very curious to know um, if you have like an on average how many sessions you feel that clients need when they struggle with un- unwanted intrusive thoughts. Oh my goodness, that's a very difficult question. Because I, I would imagine, yeah. So for some people, it's just oh they don't even need treatment; they can just read the book. And for other people, it takes just a very good discussion of the explanations Mm -hmm. and the understanding of what's going on, and then they can take it from there. And for other people, they need help practicing because they, they constantly slip off and start reassuring themselves in some way or slip mm-hmm. into false comfort over and over again. So sometimes it will take, um, you know, just a session or two, and sometimes it's an ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and very often um, there are also other problems that can be treated, like uh, OCD or um, other kinds of anxiety problems, or if there's depression present or some other problem that needs. So it it depends also on the context and what else is happening. But it can range from just a session or two to half a dozen sessions to actually a long time in which a lot of a lot of things are being addressed. One of the things that I loved after I got through this part of the book was reading about the solutions that you offer. And I found some of them playful and very positive and fun to do. Ah, which part which part were you referring to? Um, the part where when you have the unwanted intrusive thought and you one of the suggestions is you can distract or just let the thought be there. Also I'll say let the thought be there, but I could also sing one of my favorite songs in my head. Okay, now that's actually not this is why it's really good that we're having this discussion because we need to be very clear about distraction. Uh, distraction can be while my mind is offering me this garbage, I will go ahead and eat my lunch or um, sing a song or play with my child. While I allow it to be there, that's fine. But if you are singing a song or playing with your baby in order to make the thought go away and you're distracting yourself along the lines of maybe if I don't think about it, it'll go away, that actually is false comfort. Good. I think she baited you. It's the the attitude with which you proceed that makes the difference. So if you, you know, let's say you're riding along in your car and and you suddenly have the thought, 
I could yank the wheel into the oncoming traffic and kill myself and a bunch of other people. That's actually quite common. There's two ways to turn on the radio. One of the ways to turn on the radio is while my mind is going crazy and I'm driving along here, might as well listen to a song. Or I have to turn on the radio because maybe if I don't think about it, I won't do it. Mm -hmm. And those are completely different things. On the outside, it's turning on the radio. But on the inside, one is wise mind and one is false comfort. Beautiful. Perfectly done. And I did bait you, Sally. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's important, though, because people, I think the way that people learn is when you show the two options Mm -hmm. and the, the significance between the two thought processes. Yeah, it's really very difficult because what we're trying to convey is in a shift in attitude. Mm-hmm. It's it's not really a technique. It's not a thing to do. It's a way to be. And getting across an attitude shift is not so easy. That's why we use a lot of metaphors to try to explain what that attitudinal shift is because that's the core of the treatment. Um, it's not to learn a bunch of techniques that fix it. It's really to shift your relationship with it. And that's that's not so easy to do. So that's why we use the metaphors that are in the book. Beautiful. So we're through our questions, but Sally, we would love if you would talk about your practice, how people can get a hold of you, and what you can offer your clients. Well, we're we're just a small group of people. There's there are about 22 therapists at the Anxiety and Stress Disorders Institute of Maryland here in Baltimore. So we we have a we can only treat people here in the Maryland area. So that's um, uh, not uh, going to be accessible to most of the people who are listening. Okay. Um, there are uh, two uh, organizations that have. Um, find a therapist directories, um, and if you go online, you can find a therapist uh, putting in your zip code. Well, I don't know if it takes Canadian zip codes, but it should be able to do zip codes um, for the United States, and I'm not sure about. There are some cities in Canada that certainly have some members. Um, this would be the adaa.org the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, ADAA.org, or the IOCDF, that's the International OCD Foundation.org, IOCDF.org, and they also have a find a therapist function. Uh, And there are some therapists who work on Skype or other kinds of um, uh, video conferencing that are possible for people uh, around the world, uh, including an organization called Huddle Care, H-U-D-D-L-E, Care, Huddle Care, which has online group therapy for people with these kinds of problems. Wow, that's fantastic. And again, the name of Sally Winston and Martin Seif's book is Overcoming Unwanted Intrusive Thoughts. And Kelly and I will make sure that we have a link on the website by sarlo.com so that when you're listening today and you want to go right to that book and order it, people can get to it quickly. There is a new book coming out. I just finished the proofs. 
Wonderful. Um, and it, it's, uh, it's already up on Amazon, but it's not ready to order yet. Um, it's called Needing to Know for Sure, and it's about compulsive checking and reassurance seeking. And it's got the same three voices, so it's a companion to this oh, book. good. So does that book give people even more examples of the three voices? Yes, it does, and it, it's focused um, a lot on reassurance seeking, which is one of the ways that false comfort happens, but reassurance seeking in the outside world and all the subtle ways that we can do it to undermine ourselves. Okay. And Sally, there is another book called What Every Therapist Needs to Know About Anxiety Disorders. Yes, that's for therapists, although it's in one of the things that Dr. Seif and I really like to do is speak in English instead of gobbledygook. Thank you. So actually, patients can read that book too, but it's, it's written as a primer for therapists. That's wonderful. Quite often, Kelly and I, our own practices, say to people, you really do have to find the right person and the one that is qualified in the area that you need help in. So that's lovely. That's a good resource. Good. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time. And thank you so much for dedicating your life's purpose to this. Well, thank you for having me. And I hope that somebody listening recognizes themselves and pursues some of those links and, and, and feels better. Good. Sally, we'd love to have you on again. We will make sure that we get your book and that we read that and reach out to you again in the future, okay? I look forward to that. Okay, wonderful. Okay, listeners, so if you have questions or comments about today's show, you can email us at info at And if by chance you have questions for Sally, we're happy to forward those along for you as well. Have a great weekend.